God who is everywhere and that your holiness truly does surround us. And I thank you, Father, that those of us who've been born again, not only can your holiness surround us, but dwell within us in the person of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray right now as we go to the time of looking at your word, that you would minister to every heart that is here. We thank you for the living, breathing word of God. We thank you that it applies to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a seat. Turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 28. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I'm going to break this. All right. Please do. Be praying for Carrie. You know, because uh, God desires that we would pray. And we can be co-laborers with her halfway around the world. I know what a blessing it's been for me when I've been on missions trip to know that people are praying for me. Well, Numbers 28. If you haven't turned there yet, get there. Um, let me catch you up real quick. The book of Numbers, as we've talked about before, kind of gets a bad rap because people think all it is is a bunch of numbering of the people, and the reality is it's only done twice in the entire text. What it really should be better called would be in the wilderness. Now understand that I'm not questioning the Word of God because God's Word is perfect, but the names of the books are not necessarily divinely inspired. All right? But in the wilderness is what we have seen. And what we've been watching is we've been watching the children of Israel headed to the land of promise, and we've seen them miss God. And as they miss God, that 11-day journey turned into a 40-year death march. So now we've come to the new generation, that next generation that's about to enter into the land of promise. We get to Numbers 28. And here we're going to see, I titled the message tonight, Handing Down Truth to the Next Generation. And at first glance, these next two chapters look like we're just talking about some of the same offerings that we talked about way back in Leviticus. But we must always remember not just to look at what's written in the Word, but look at the context. Understand who it's being written to. And why is this being repeated? Let me tell you why. Because the generation that had heard it the first time is all dead now. Remember of the 603,550 men that started that journey to the land of promise, only two are going to enter in. Because of rebellion, they're going to miss out on God's highest. They were encamped back in Leviticus around Mount Sinai. They were given God's clear instruction. They were freed from bondage in Egypt. They had seen God perform miraculous miracles. And that's redundant, I guess, miraculous miracles. Um, They had the tabernacle and its furnishings. They were encamped in the cross. They had God's glory dwelling with them. When they woke up every morning, the first thing they did is they looked over the tabernacle and they would see the Shekinah glory of God dwelling there. And the reason they would have to look up when they woke up is because if God's glory moved, then they were to move with Him. And I'll tell you, that's a great example for us. When we wake up in the morning, it's a great thing that the first thing that we do is look up. Amen? Get your eyes on the Lord and follow after Him. And so as we come to this, this portion, we've seen that they've been dwelling in God's presence. They've had His divine direction. They've had His divine provision, the manna that was falling from the sky. They, they were headed to that land of promise, and sadly, they completely missed God. But praise God that He's patient. And He looks at the next generation. And this, these children of Israel who had rebelled against Him, who had murmured, now He looks at their children and He's going to give them the same opportunity to enter into the land of promise. And He's going to repeat some of the very same uh, things to them as well to prepare their hearts. Now remember that they had watched their parents reject God's Word. And can I encourage you with something? Christianity is more caught than taught. And your kids are watching you. 
And the example that this entire generation had seen is mom and dad who, didn't, who murmured against God. Mom and dad who murmured against Moses. Mom and dad who didn't believe God's promise and entered into the land of promise. They stood outside of Canaan and said, oh, there's giants in the land, we can't go in there. Remember, they sent spies in. And so now God is, has literally, because of their rebellion, He's removing that entire generation, and now He's preparing the next generation. And what has He done so far in preparation for them to enter in? In Numbers 21, He gave them victory over the Canaanites. Remember, they came right back to the very same spot. Forty years have passed. Entire generation, for the most part, has passed away. They're faced with the same enemy, and where mom and dad blew it, these guys said, we trust God, and they fought the Canaanites, and they won the battle. In chapter 22 through 24, Balaam wanted to curse the children of Israel, and God wouldn't allow it, because they were encamped in the cross. In chapter 25, harlotry came into the camp, and if you remember, Phineas picked up a spear and threw it through the adulterous man and the woman that he was with. In chapter 26, we number the people again, and we do see a whole new generation has been raised up. And then in chapter 27, last week, we saw a new leader. Who was the new leader? What was his name? Joshua. And if you will remember, that Moses is a picture of the what? The law. And Joshua's name, transliterated, is also Jesus. And Moses could not bring them into the land of promise, But Joshua, or Jesus, a picture of Jesus, is the one who would bring them in. Because the law cannot save us. We must have the Savior. Amen? You cannot be good enough to get into heaven. You cannot be good enough. You can't try hard enough. You can't keep enough laws because you still have an S-I-N problem. We're all sinners and if we have one sin, we can't enter into the land. We can't enter into heaven. Because God has one sin in heaven, He's got earth part two. And so the law reveals sin, but we must have the Messiah to pay for our sin that we might enter in. And so we see that they raise up this new leader. And I want to point something out about him real quick, just as a reminder. Remember that Moses was told he wasn't going to enter in. And what did Moses do? His heart broke. And he looked out at his people and said, Lord, I know I've blown it. I'm paraphrasing here. I know I've blown it, but Lord, don't leave them without a shepherd. Don't leave them like sheep without a shepherd. And the word for pastor in Greek is shepherd. That's what it is. And that's what a pastor is. A pastor is to feed them and lead them. And he said, don't leave them without a shepherd. And I think it's interesting that they didn't call, God didn't call Phineas. Now Phineas was the zealous young guy with the spear. Remember when the people were out of God's will and he picked up a spear and he threw it through them and people went, woo, that guy's holy, right? That guy's zealous. He's on fire. Who did he pick? God raised up Joshua, a man who for 40 years simply served faithfully. A man who stood by Moses and sat on Mount Sinai waiting for him to come down. A man who went out and fought the Amalekites and won the battle. A man who went into and spied out the land and when everybody else said, oh, we can't do it, he said, God's on our side, let's go take care of it. He was a faithful man and because he was simply faithful to do what was in front of him, God chose him for great things. Can I encourage you, if you'll be faithful right where you are right now, God will use you for greater things in the future. Too often people say, well, when God allows me, then I'll go. When God puts me in full-time ministry, or when God, you know, makes me financially set so I can do it, or when God, you know, gives me another gift, or whatever it might be, as soon as I'm married, as soon as I have kids, or we're always, there's something else that has to happen. Can I encourage you? Serve God right where you're at. And when you do, God will give you greater opportunities to serve Him in the future. And Joshua, do you think Joshua knew he was going to step in for Moses? I believe no. I believe that Joshua simply said, I'm here and I'm going to obey God. 
And as he did, God saw a man he could use, a man who was faithful. So that brings us to the chapter tonight. And we're going to look at handing down this new beginning. The people have been renumbered. They've got a new leader. And now he's going to reestablish the very same sacrificial system that had been told to the first generation. And the reason it's being told to them again is because without the sacrificial system, without the realization that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior, we're hopeless. And these guys had to understand, this new generation, this several million people, had to be reminded, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And that salvation comes at a very heavy cost, reminding them of their own sinful state and the heavy price of sin. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 28. And I want you to see, beginning with the daily offerings, and this is going to seem, again, a little redundant initially, but I want you to see and look at this through new eyes. Understand that the, the generation that heard it the first time, 40 years earlier, for the most part, they're all dead. And now these, these ones that were not even born yet, or were infants or young children, are now being told again. And can I tell you something? This breaks my heart. I've been asked to speak at, and pray for me, I've been asked to speak at the pastor's conference this year, Mount Hermon. And when I speak, one of the things that God has put on my heart for devotions, what God has put on my heart is Acts chapter 20. And what Acts chapter 20 is all about is that we teach the whole counsel of God. That we teach the Bible, right? Not just some of it, not just man's opinion, but the Word of God. And what is happening is this generation is there, and guess what they need? They need to hear the Word again. And what happens is we can get away from the Word and we can start chasing seven principles for joy and five keys to freedom and three ways to, to you know, have a better marriage or whatever. And what happens is not that those principles are necessarily wrong, but we need the Bible to transform lives. Amen? And so we see here is that they go right back and he says, okay, we got another generation. I'm taking you right back to the Word. I'm taking you right back to what was given at Mount Sinai. I'm not going to give you, you know tickling ears or the fluff of the month for this generation. I'm going to give you the same word that was given to your fathers. And may we deliver the same word that has been delivered to us. May we not water it down and try to be culturally relevant. Can you imagine? Well, this is a new generation. I think we should change some of the commandments for them. It's been a little different for them, so let's, let's get rid of a few and let's make it the seven commandments. You know, they could have done that. But instead they said, no, this is the word God's delivered to us and we're going to be faithful to deliver it to the next generation. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. So he turns to them and he says to them, he wants them to rediscover God's plan, to reestablish God's plan, to re ignite the sacrifices that should have been going on to the Lord. Now we know as they fell into rebellion that they fell in rebellion in every aspect, including coming before God morning and night the way that they should have. And so he wants to reestablish it. And what I find interesting here is he says that my offering, my food for my offerings made by fire is a sweet aroma. How in the world is a sacrifice a sweet aroma in God's presence? God looks down on sacrifices and it blesses Him. Let me tell you two reasons why. Number one, I believe these sacrifices point to us putting our flesh to death. What is it that they sacrifice? What do they burn? Flesh. And by the way, barbecue is good. Amen? There's a big altar and it looked like a big barbecue and when they're burning it, the Lord said, that's good. But what it really is for each of us, the application for you and I, is that we must learn to die to ourselves 
that God might use us for His glory. The Bible says we must die daily to our flesh. And there's that spiritual battle that goes on every day for control of your life between the flesh and the spirit. And which one wins the battle? The one you feed the most. And we must die to ourselves and die to our will. And there's nothing sweeter to the Lord than when we put our flesh on the altar and say, not my will, but thy will be done. In Romans 8, it says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is joy and peace. Fleshly desires focus on me. Spiritual desires focus on the Lord. Not wanting something from God, not blessings for me. You know, when you go to the Lord, do, you always, do we go, and just think about this yourself. I, we've all been guilty of it. Do you go to the Lord simply asking for something? Do you go to Him and say, Lord, could you, would you, can you, huh? Right? You know, Lord, make me, give me, help me. And again, those are all valid prayers. It is valid for us to say, Lord, transform my life. Lord, but you know what? We need to have intimate love relationship with Him first. We should begin our prayer life with, Lord, you're a great and an awesome God, and I love you. We should not be seeking the blessings as much as we're seeking the Savior. Have that intimate, personal fellowship with Him. Not just seeking His hand to move in our lives, but seeking His face. Saying, Lord, I just want to love you. I just want to know you. Lord, I don't care if you bless this. I don't care if you touch it or not. Lord, I just want to be so in love with you, and then you do whatever you want. And coming into His presence with that heart, not saying, Lord, give me. I want that raise at work. You know, I need that. You know, and again, things that might even be valid, but begin first by seeking His face. I want you, Lord. Not about witnessing God's touch on someone else's life, but watching God minister to our... And I believe there's a shortage of that in the church today. We talk about how anointed somebody else is all the time. You know, oh, that music gift. Oh, that. You know what? I, I, don't, want to have, I don't want to send you to Hawaii for me and have you tell me about it. I want to go myself. Amen? And I don't want to have somebody else be the one that's spending all the time in the Lord's presence and then come and telling me about it. I want to go there myself. I want to have that intimacy with God. And he's saying here, it's a sweet aroma when we put our flesh to death and we die to ourselves and we say, Lord, it's not my will, but thy will be done. And Lord, all that I have, I sacrifice it to you. Because Lord, everything that I give away is of no value anyway. Seek not the applause of men, but the praise of God. And it says there, at their appointed time. And they needed to know and understand that daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly, God had sacrifices set up. Now, why does He do this? Because He wants His people to keep their eyes on Him. That's why He does it. We're going to watch, and we go through these verses, we're going to see daily sacrifices, weekly sacrifices, monthly sacrifices, and annual feasts. And as we go through it, we're going to see that God does this because He doesn't want us to take our eyes off of Him. And don't we take our eyes off of Him too quickly? Isn't it easy just to get so caught up with our world and so caught up with our circumstances that we take our eyes off of God? So each, again, would be significant because it was how these sacrifices were made and when they were to be made, and they needed to walk in obedience to them, and we'll see the significance of them as we move on. One other thing I want to say. One of the reasons this is also a sweet aroma in His presence is because it's a picture of something in the future. What's it a picture of? What's every sacrifice a picture of? Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And while it is painful for the Father to look on the blood of the Son and the suffering that He went through, it's also a sweet aroma because the result is sinful men and women like me and you being restored back to holy relationship with God. And so for Him, it's a sweet aroma when we lay down our flesh 
and it was the sweetest aroma when his own son died that you and I might have eternal life. So look first at the burnt offering, verse 3. You shall say to them, this is an offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs in the first year without blemish, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. So, Every single day they were to offer a burnt offering. If you were here when we went through Leviticus, a burnt offering is an offering that is consumed totally. Some offerings you brought and you took a part of it home with you, not this time. A burnt offering was a total sacrifice. It would be like us again saying, Lord, I give you all of it. Now, I'm not holding back anything. Lord, it all belongs to you. And this burnt offering is to be made day by day by day. And again, it's a picture of Jesus who was totally consumed for us. Verse 4. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other you shall offer in the evening. Offerings were made every morning and every, every evening forever until the Messiah came. And what was it, again, a reminder to them that every single morning they were to begin their day looking up. The Christian life should be a continual burnt offering. We are to be presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. If you were here on Sunday, Romans chapter 12, you present your body to the Lord every single day. In the morning, get up in the morning and pray and say, Lord, guide my day, direct my day. I can't, and can I encourage you, I can't even imagine getting out of bed and putting my feet on the ground and starting to go out and live my life without saying, Lord, help. Lord, lead. Lord, guide. Lord, direct. Lord, bless my life, because without you, I can do nothing. Pray for your mission field by name before your feet hit the ground. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for your unsaved family. Pray for the neighbors. Pray for the the people that you know you're going to be spending time with that day. I promise you it will transform your walk with God if before your feet hit the ground you're spending time in His presence. And the Lord is commanding them every day, children of Israel, don't blow it like your parents. When you get up, the first thing that's going to happen is sacrifices unto me. First thing, before you even start your day. Get our hearts prepared. Get our focus on Him. Psalm 5, 3 says, My voice you shall hear In the, what? Morning. Begin your day with Him. Then in the evening, reflect on your day. Pray again for your mission field. Praise God for the work that He's done. Intercede on behalf of of, of others. And it says in Psalm 63, When I remember you on my bed, I I meditate on you in the night watches. You know one of the things I love to do before I go to bed? I love to just read the Word. Just read it. And I mean not study it. You know, you know, I love to study the Word. But I mean just open the Bible and read a few chapters. And then as I'm laying there going to sleep, in my mind just meditating on the Scripture. And I tell you, it, I tell you, it just blesses my, my time as I go to bed. It, it just ministers to my heart. And what happens again is I begin the day with the Lord and I'm ending the day with the Lord. And Lord willing, I'm spending the day with the Lord. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. And he tells this new generation, guys, your parents blew it. The generation before you fell away from me. I don't want that to happen to you, so here's what you need to do. Keep your eyes on me morning, noon, and night. Begin your day with me. Start out seeking God's face. Think about it yourselves, guys. What do you think about first in the morning? When you wake up, what's the first thought on your mind? Breakfast. (laughs) Toothpaste. Right. Mouthwash, something, right? I mean, that's your wife. Mouthwash, please. Right? The reality is, though, what is the first thing that's on your heart? What is that passion? May we begin our day with, yes, Lord. Your servant hears. Pray first. See God's face. It'll transform your life. Verse 5 through 8. 
says, so bring that one lamb, and you shall offer it in the evening, and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering which is ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a drink offering that shall be one-fourth of a hen for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink for, to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as a morning grain offering and its drink offering you shall offer it as an offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the lord so you see repeatedly that each one of these offerings is a sweet aroma to the lord and if you weren't here in leviticus let me just make catch you up fine flour flour that was beaten and made fine and what do they do with flour they make bread with it who's the bread of life jesus christ the fine flour is a picture of jesus the pressed oil, how do they make that oil? They press it, they beat it, it's crushed. And when the, uh, the olives are crushed, that's when the oil comes out. It's interesting that Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, means oil press. And it's there when Jesus was praying as he was getting ready to head to the cross, and he said, if it, you know, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he's sweating great drops of blood. He's in the oil press. And oil in the Bible is a representation of what? Or whom? The Holy Spirit. And so we see here that this fine flour is a picture of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. And this pressed oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so you have this, this, these lambs. Who's the perfect lamb of God? Jesus Christ being sacrificed. And with that sacrifice, we see fine flour, a picture of Christ. The pressed out oil, a picture of the Holy Spirit. All of that being sacrificed, and it's a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And then we see there in verse 6, it is a regular burnt offering, ordained at Mount Sinai. Now I love this, because it was ordained beforehand that this sacrifice would take place, just as it was ordained that Jesus Christ would die for us before the foundation of the world. It was ordained at Mount Sinai where the law was given that the sacrifice would be made. Because as soon as the law was given, the sacrifice had to be made. Because the law without the sacrifice dooms us all. But the law reveals our need for the sacrifice, and it's a mirror that makes us see our need for a Savior. So at Mount Sinai where the law was given, so too the Holy Spirit anointed and poured out the truth that the sacrifice would have to come as well. So the law and the sacrifice work hand in hand. Verse 7 and 8, you see a drink offering shall be poured out. Now this drink offering, if you look up the word, means drink of strong intoxication or wine. And wine in, a, in the word here is a picture of what? The blood of Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the what? Blood of Jesus. Now remember, this is hundreds of years before Jesus came, but all of this points clearly to the Savior. The oil press, the Holy Spirit was upon Him, and, and He and the Father and the Spirit are one. We see the, the blood. We see that He is the bread of life. We see the perfect Lamb that was sacrificed. Jesus, 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 Jesus. He's the answer to the sins of mankind. And He's the only one that can redeem us of our sin. Verse 8, The other lamb you shall offer in the evening. In the morning grain offering, its drink offering, you shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Again, the offering is made by fire. 
And it's interesting that it's through fire and it's through trials that we are, pur- that we are purified and made more like Christ. Too often we don't want to go through difficulties. And the reality is, who here loves to go through difficulties? Raise your hand. Liar, right? We don't want to go through them. But here's the reality. We are to count it all joy, my brethren, when we fall into various trials because that's where we grow the most. Because when we're going through difficulty, in Psalm 23, right, it talks about laying down in green pastures. And when you're laying down in green pastures and everything's good, where's your master? He's around here somewhere. Life's pretty sweet right now. I'm laying in some tall cotton. It's nice, right? And, but at the same time, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when you're going through illness or difficulty or financial struggles or, or troubles in your marriage or your family or your home or whatever it might be, those are times that you're gripping tightly to the Master. Amen? You're holding closely to Him, and that's when you're going to grow the most. And we see here this fire makes a sweet aroma in God's presence because through the fire we are purified. And through the fire, it's a picture of the suffering that Christ would go through. Praise God that He loved us enough that He's willing to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. It says in Isaiah 53, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He has put Him to grief when you made His soul an offering for sin. These daily sacrifices each day began and ended with the statement of the need for atonement by sacrifice and expression of devotion to the Lord. Every time they made the sacrifice, it was, it was admitting one more time, you know what? We're sinners, and our sins must be atoned for. It was a constant reminder as that blood was being shed every single morning and every single night, the high price of our sin. You know, too often we think that sin's not a big deal. Let me tell you something, sin is a big deal. Amen? It's a huge deal. It separates man from holy God. And while salvation is a free gift, it was not cheap. Verse 9 and 10. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs in the first year without blemish and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil with its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering. So on the Sabbath, this is a new one. This is not, was not established prior to this verse. He wanted them to remember that the Sabbath was a special day. So on the Sabbath, they gave the regular sacrifices, but they gave a double portion. Instead of one lamb in the morning and one lamb at night, it was two lambs in the morning and two lambs at night. And it was to be, remind them of the significance of the Sabbath. That God has called us to, to remember that time, to, to set aside time to be in, the, in His presence. The same offering again as the other six days, but then an additional offering as well. We need to have that day of rest and devotion. Reminder to keep a day set apart to worship. It was more work for the priest on the Sabbath. But guess what? Today, every day is the Lord's day, but we are to continue to take time to worship and fellowship and rest in Him. If you're too busy to be in fellowship, you need to repent. Amen? Well, I'm too busy. i got stuff going on. What's more important than God? What's more important? What are you making? Now, I'm not saying don't ever go on vacation. You should do that. I believe God wants us to do that. But if we're putting other things before God, and we're not making time to be in His presence. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on Wednesday, all right? But here's the reality. We need to make sure that we remain in fellowship and we don't put other things before God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And He said, I want you to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It was the fourth commandment. He said, you know what? Your parents missed it. They got too caught up in their circumstances. They walked around murmuring about manna and crying and moaning. And I want you to keep your eyes on me. And I don't want you to forget to trust in me and to rest in me and to seek after me. 
Next, the monthly offerings. Verse 11. At the beginning of your months, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Notice that they're always without blemish. Every sacrifice is without blemish. Why? Picture of Jesus Christ, and He was without sin. It says, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with oil. Again, you're going to see flour, bread of life, oil, picture of the Holy Spirit. Each bull, two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with oil and one ram. Now, lambs, rams, and bulls. Lamb, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Picture of Jesus. Seven lambs here, number of completeness. Bulls. Why bulls? Because His yoke is easy and His burden is light and He takes our burdens upon Himself. A bull is a beast of burden like an oxen, right? And He takes it upon Himself. Why a ram? Remember, and we'll see later, Abraham, or we saw earlier, Abraham and Isaac, right? Do you remember going up there to make the sacrifice? What was caught in the thicket? A ram. And the, the verse says, and the Lord provided, not for Himself, the Lord provided Himself a sacrifice. The ram is a picture of Jesus Christ. And so this sacrifice, these seven lambs and the bulls and the ram, all a picture of Jesus Christ. What an awesome way the, the Bible is so perfectly put together and it's only possible because God is the one who wrote it. Now these festivals took place with every new moon or every month. It says in verse 13, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil is a grain offering for each lamb. As a burnt offering, a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. The drink offering shall be half a hen of wine for a bull, one-third of a hen for a ram, one-fourth of a hen for a lamb. This is a burnt offering for each month throughout the month of the year. Also, one kid of goats as a sin offering to the Lord shall be offered besides a regular burnt offering and its drink offering. Now, you might say, why all the detail here? Let me tell you why. Because every month, what would happen is they would blow trumpets. This is Numbers chapter 10. No work was to be done. There was a huge time of public worship, social and family feasts as they all came together, and they would worship and honor the Lord. And notice that they made all these sacrifices, and I believe again that it's so specific because God wants us to see that there is only one specific answer for our sin. They couldn't just throw in whatever they felt like throwing in. Well, maybe a lamb. You got a lamb, you got to throw a lamb in there. Got some, well, how much? I don't know. Throw, you know. And it was precise. And it was exact. Why? Because again, it's only Jesus Christ that could take away our sin. We can't just grab any man. We can't just grab any path. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now it says lastly there that they also gave a sin offering. And the sin offering is significant. A goat. If you guys remember those of you who are here, how many of you ever heard the term scapegoat before? Well, that term is biblical and where it comes from is David told me they would go out and they would they would kill one of the goats, and they would confess the sins of the people over another one of the goats. And then they would send it out into the wilderness. And as it was going out into the wilderness, men would stand further and further out, and they would tell them when it was passing. And it's interesting that they always sent the goat from the east to the west. And it's interesting that it says of Jesus that He has separated our sin, what? As far as the east is from the west. And the goat, they confessed the sin, and they sent the sin as if the sin no longer dwells within us. It's been confessed. It's been carried away. The scapegoat has taken it away from us. And it's as far away as the east is from the west. And here we have the sin offering as they offered up a goat. A picture again of what Jesus did for every one of us who would simply confess Him as Savior 
Again, it's not enough to make an offering in hopes of appeasing God. We must make this specific offering because it's interesting. You know who else offered goats at the first of every month? The Egyptians and the pagans and the Syrians. What did they do? They offered these new moon sacrifices. And you know, I think it's time that we start taking some, you know, people, and, and I have to confess to you, I'm one of them. Every year on Halloween, I just kind of act like it's not there. Just ignore it. And we shouldn't participate in it because it is a pagan holiday. But let me say this. It's time for us as Christians, just like they did here, the pagans were worshiping on the new moon day, and so what did God tell them to do? You know, you're going to do that, and you're going to offer sacrifices to the true and living God. And on Halloween, when they're worshiping the, the God of the world, we should be worshiping the true and living God. Amen? And that's what we see here, is that they're off worshiping another way, and God says, no, 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 no. Worship the true and living God. Every time there's a new moon and they're worshiping the pagan idols, you worship me. You seek after me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And all these were reminders, again, of looking up. Every day, sacrifices in the morning, sacrifices in the evening. Every Sabbath day, an additional sacrifice. Every new moon, a festival, trumpets were blown. Even a greater sacrifice. There was no way around it. Nowhere could you go within the camp of Israel where you were not reminded of your sinfulness and your need for a Savior. Everywhere you went, everywhere you looked, tabernacle in the center. And praise God that He continued to remind them. Now lastly, we're going to look at two annual feasts. Because not only were there the daily sacrifices and the weekly sacrifices and the monthly sacrifices, but there were also annual feasts that served as yet another reminder of God's blessing and God's deliverance. And each one of the feasts, if you were here when we taught Leviticus 23, great chapter, and I want to encourage you, you can request the tape, we'll get you one. Leviticus 23 has all seven of the feasts. And the first four feasts all point to something that has already happened, but all four of them point to things that were fulfilled in Christ. All four of them. Then the last three feasts all point to things that will be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ. And they're all in Leviticus chapter 23. Now tonight we're going to look at three of those feasts, all of them feasts that were fulfilled in Christ when He first came. Okay? And I love the Bible because, again, you look at these feasts, and they're celebrating them 1,500 years before Christ, not fully grasping why, and all of them perfect pictures of our Savior. The Bible rocks. Amen? It all fits together perfect. And we should spend more time in His Word if we truly understand. So it has historical commemoration for these guys. They're going to be celebrating the, the three feasts we're going to look at tonight. They celebrate and remembering something that had already happened. But for them, it was pointing to things that were yet to come, things that have all been fulfilled for us. So let's take a look. Beginning, the first one is Passover. And again, the four spring or summertime feasts were all feasts that pointed to something. You know what? Let me give them to you if you take notes. Let me give you the four feasts real quick and the other three. If you take notes, great. Okay, these annual feasts. By the way, the word feast means appointed time. Set time, appointed time. So the first four feasts that all point to the first coming of Christ, the first one we're going to look at in just a second is Passover. Passover was remembering their deliverance out of bondage in Egypt, but it pointed forward to what? To what? The cross, guys. All right, we'll talk about that in a second. Unleavened bread pointed backward to them having to leave in haste. Unleavened bread points to the tomb. Jesus being buried in the tomb. Then we look back, the, the Feast of First Fruits, and that points to the resurrection. 
And then lastly, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. What did that point forward to? The giving of, or the coming of whom? Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So you have the Passover pointing to the cross, the Feast of Unleavened Bread pointing to the tomb, the Feast of First Fruits pointing to the resurrection, and then the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost pointing to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now the three feasts, and we're going to look at these next week, that point to the second coming of Christ, the first one is the Feast of Trumpets. What do you think that might point to? What's going what's to happen then? The rapture, right? The Bible says the trumpet shall sound and what will happen? Out of here, amen? And so that feast points to yet a coming event when the church will be raptured. The next one is, is the atonement, the atoning work. And that points to the tribulation. And then lastly, the Feast of Tabernacles points to the thousand-year reign when we will rule and reign on earth with the Lord. You can learn a lot about people by the holidays they celebrate and how they celebrate them. And we're going to look at two, or three feasts right now that the children of Israel were called to celebrate. They were called to remember. And you know what? The way that people celebrate Christmas today and the way they celebrate Easter tells you a lot about them. If Christmas is all about Santa and gifts, and if Easter is all about bunnies and eggs, and not about the birth of Christ and His resurrection, then we've missed it. Amen? Again, it's okay to give gifts at Christmas, just as long as that's not the focus of Christmas. Amen? It's all about our Savior. It's His birthday. May we not forget that. So let's begin in verse 16. On the 14th day of the first month is Passover of the Lord historically in celebration of the deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. The 14th day of the first month, it's the month of Nisan. That would be March or April today, because it's, again, it's a lunar calendar. And so this Passover, God raised up a deliverer, delivered them out of 400 years of bondage. Moses came in. He, he came into Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said no nine times. Remember that? Nine plagues. What was the last plague? The angel of what? The angel of death. And if you'll remember, it was called Passover. And why was it called Passover? Because they were to take the blood of a firstborn spotless lamb. They were to take a hyssop branch, take the blood of the lamb, and then they were to spread the blood on both, the, both sides of the door, the top and the bottom portion. And if the blood of the lamb was applied to the door, then the angel of death, when he came, would pass over and death would not enter into that home. But if the blood had not been applied to the door, then death would come. It wasn't enough to slay the lamb. The blood had to be applied. It's not enough just to believe that there is a God. It's not enough just to believe that Jesus Christ is God. We must do more than believe that He is who He is. We must ask Him to be our Lord and Savior. We must apply the blood to our own lives. Amen? Can't just be that He was slaughtered, because He was, but it must be applied to us. And so we see this Passover, and the blood of the Lamb was sprinkled. Notice the hyssop branch. Where else do you see hyssop? At where? At the cross, right? Amen? Remember at the cross? What did they use? Hyssop branch? Incredible. It all fits together. Nothing happens by chance in the Bible. So historically, it was in celebration of the deliverance out of bondage in Egypt, but prophetically, it's a picture again of the cross. Christ, our Passover Lamb, who was sacrificed for us. In John 1, 29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, what does he say? Behold, the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. And His blood on the door delivered them out of bondage. And if it were not for the blood of the Lamb, they would have died themselves. So historically, it was a deliverance. But 
prophetically it pointed to the cross. One last thing about the Passover lamb. We'll move on to the next one. When they had a lamb, they had to make sure it was perfect. Do you know how they made sure it was perfect? They brought the little lamb into their house for four days to inspect it, to make sure it wasn't sick, you know, it wasn't lame, it wasn't going to develop any spots in its wool or whatever it might be. And they had to watch it for four days to make sure it was perfect. And then after that four days of having that pet in their house, trying to keep their kids from naming it, right? They had to slit its throat and apply the blood. Heavy. When Jesus came in, they inspected Him for four days, and then they crucified Him. Nothing happens by chance in the Bible. The perfect Lamb of God. Palm Sunday to Friday morning, right? And that's when He was crucified. So again, we see the same thing happening, those same four days of being inspected. The Word of God is perfect. Nothing happens by chance. The second one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Look at verse 17. And on the fifteenth day of this month of the feast, unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. You, you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs in their first year, be sure they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah you shall offer for a bull and two-tenths for a ram. You shall offer one-tenth of an ephah for each of the seven lambs. Also one goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Remember the word atonement is the word for covering. To cover your sin. Then it says in verse 23, You shall offer these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a regular burnt offering. In this manner you shall offer the food of the offering made by fire daily for seven days, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides a regular burnt offering and its drink offering. And on the seventh day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. So this Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted an entire week and started with Passover. Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is a picture of, that, of the tomb, Christ being in the tomb. Now the unleavened, what is leaven a picture of in the Bible? Sin. So what they had to do is after Passover... They had to make sure there was no leaven in their house. So now the blood's been applied, but it wasn't enough that the blood was applied. Now the blood's been applied, so the angel of death has passed over, so now i got the get-out-of-hell-free card and I live like the world, right? No. Though the angel of death has passed over, we are to cleanse our homes from leaven. And so for seven days they went in and they made sure there was no leaven anywhere in the house. It was a picture of the fact that they left Egypt with great haste, but it was also a picture of the fact that when we've been born again, we still must cleanse our lives and our homes and our houses. Amen? Cleanse them. Now, does cleansing that save us? No. Being holy, does being holy or being good produce salvation? No, but salvation should produce holiness. Amen? And you know what? We should hate sin the more we fall in love with the Lord. And the more our hearts should be broken when we do miss God. And so Egypt is a type of the world and Passover had delivered them out of bondage and Lebanon is a type of sin and God had delivered them out of sin and out of death. Prophetically, again, that expectation when Jesus' body would be broken. How do we know His body was unleavened? We'll see next week that the, fe the next feast pointed the fact that His body was without leaven. One other thing I want to say about Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread how many of you have ever seen a Passover Seder before? Okay, it's awesome. Because when you look at this Jewish feast, it points so 
clearly to Jesus, it is scary. And it blows my mind that people can sit there and not see Jesus. Because one of the things that happens in a Seder, between the second and third cup of wine, a bag is opened up, and three pieces of unleavened bread, matzah bread, that are striped and pierced, are pulled out. They're all the same size. You ever seen matzah bread? It's striped, right? By His, what, we were healed? Stripes were healed. And what happened to His side on the cross? He was pierced for our transgressions. Okay? So this striped and pierced bread, three pieces, they take out the middle piece. There's three pieces. The middle piece they take out and they break in half and they wrap in a linen cloth and they hide it. And then people search for it and when it is found by the children, everybody celebrates that it's been found. The three pieces of bread, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen? The middle piece, the second part of the Trinity. Pulled out and what? Broken. Who was broken for our sins? Jesus Christ. He was then wrapped in linen, right? Wasn't He wrapped in linen? And then He was buried in the tomb. And when they went to the tomb and He wasn't there anymore, great rejoicing. Amen? I've been to the tomb. I've been in there. He's not there. Great rejoicing. Amen? And praise God. And we see here again the Passover and the unleavened bread. It's all pointing to Jesus. And man, that's exciting, isn't it? And I love the Old Testament because it's Jesus on every single page. We're almost done. So we see here, it says, also make a holy convocation. This was a time of sacred and consecrated assembly. When they had time specifically set aside to be with the Lord. Last five verses. Also on the day of first fruits, when you bring a new grain offering to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. Again, no work is to be done. Time focused totally on the Lord. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. With their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah of each bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also of a kid of the goats, you shall make atonement for you or a sin offering. Be sure that they are without blemish. You shall present them with their drink offerings besides the regular burnt offering with its grain offering. Now the Feast of Weeks, looking back, was in remembrance of something that happened 50 days after Passover. 50 days after they came out of Egypt, they were encamped at Mount Sinai. When they were encamped there, Moses went up onto the mountain and he came down with what? The law, the Ten Commandments. So, for them, the Feast of Weeks, 50 day, that happened 50 days after Passover, pointed to the giving of the law. And they were to celebrate that the law had been given to them. Now, you fast forward to the New Testament, and that happened on Mount Sinai. There was fire on the mountain. Law was delivered to Moses. And when he came down, what happened? If you remember when he came down the mountain, he came down and what did he see? Golden calf and people out of control. And the ground opened up and swallowed how many people? Who knows? 3,000 people were swallowed. So the law was given on Mount Sinai 50 days after the Passover. Fire came down on the mountain. Heat came down. The earth shook. The ground opened up and 3,000 people were swallowed. Fast forward to 50 days after the New Testament Passover, which is what? The cross. 50 days after the Passover was Pentecost. And at Pentecost, we know that in Mount, on Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai, in the upper room, 
Fire came down, just like fire came down upon Moses. And this time, instead of giving them the law, the Holy Spirit was given to them. Amen? And tongues of fire were upon them. And what's interesting is they began to speak the wonderful works of God. And how many people got saved? 3,000. Tell me the Bible isn't awesome. Okay? The giving of the law, Pentecost, 50 days after the original Passover, 3,000 died because the law brings forth death. 50 days after the cross, Holy Spirit falls upon the church. The church begins. They begin to speak the wonderful works of God in other tongues, and 3,000 souls are added to the kingdom that day. Not, none of that's by chance. You've got to love the way the Bible just fits so perfectly together. And notice again here, because it points to the law, that you have a total of 10 sacrifices. So, in conclusion, handing down truth to the next generation, sharing with them the same offerings and the same feasts, letting them know that they too need to be atoned for, that they are sinners in need of a Savior. I think it's important that we let our kids know as, as young as possible. You know, I have video of my kids when they can barely speak singing Jesus Loves Me. And those are some of my favorite videos. I watch them even now and I weep. You know, they, they can barely, you know, they're, or they're doing, you know, I'm in the Lord's Army, yes sir, kind of stuff, you know. And I love that because you raise up a child in the way that he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. And we need to be ministering truth to that next generation, amen? And we need to be loving on those kids. By the way, great segue, we have a need in our children's ministry. So you guys be praying because those kids are precious, Amen. And they are so precious in God's eyes, and He loves them so very much. So be praying about how God might use you. So these offerings and feasts were handed down to the next generation. They pointed to both the sinfulness of man and the faithfulness of God. And they were ready then to move forward into the land of promise in preparation for the battles that were before them. But only way they'd be ready is if their eyes were always on the Lord. And it began by morning and evening sacrifices. Guys, morning and evening prayer. Every Sabbath a special sacrifice. Spend time. Don't work on a day. Take some time. Hang out. Go to church. Be in fellowship. Minister to other people. Also, then we saw the monthly. And you know, once we have agape feast here, right? But do something where, again, there's a special time to remember what Christ has done for us. And then those annual feasts when we look back at the great and awesome work that God has done for us. The Bible's awesome. And next week we're going to see the feasts that point to things that have not yet come. We saw the things that happened this week, and next week we're going to see the things that are yet to come. And just as sure as the things have taken place that were prophesied in this chapter, just as sure the things that are, have been prophesied that will happen, will happen just as God said. Amen? If He's been faithful to His Word in the past, can we not trust Him to be faithful in the future? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You the way that it's so clearly fits together. We thank you, Lord, just for the reminders of the sacrifices that had to be made. The fact that we are all sinners, and it's only through the blood of Christ that we can be saved. Lord, I just ask you to help us to be men and women who would greet you in the morning and in the evening. Men and women who set aside time to, to be in your presence, to seek first your kingdom. And Lord, help us to be salt and light to a world that so desperately needs you, and to hand down truth to the generation that is behind us. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. You're such a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.